Monday, April the 17th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone had a nice weekend as we get set up for the season finale of The Mandalorian. So this will be a Mandalorian episode 6 and 7 recap, deep dive, and review scene by scene with Tim Kelly joining me. And then we'll also have some Keeneland Wednesday best bets for Wednesday, April the 19th. Four races throughout the eight race card where I think you might be able to find a price to play in some of your exotics. So we'll talk quickly a few things about the NBA, but as we make the uh, the you know the transition to the NBA playoffs, we're actually hosting daily NBA playoff shows. Myself and Eric, who you've heard there here uh, here on this show many times, you can watch that show live on Twitter on Facebook or by subscribing to my YouTube also with Eric's YouTube on Eric's Twitter on Eric's Twitch any of those so if you follow me it's me Gino B Monday through Friday 5 Eastern 2 p.m. Pacific time we preview the NBA game so for today as I'm recording this on April 17th we went live earlier today previewing Brooklyn Philly then Golden State Sacramento Everybody's got one game through so far. A lot of injuries on Sunday. Anthony Davis went down but came back and played. Following that, Hero got hurt. Giannis got hurt. And Ja Morant also not exactly sure the health on some major stars after just one playoff game so far. Come and join us every Monday through Friday. 5 Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, Saturday, Sunday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time with myself and with Eric. We take a look at the Daily Racing Form Sportsbook, DRF Sportsbook Lines, and we uh, teach you about Thrive Fantasy. So if you are someone who likes to play fantasy sports, you will just love Thrive Fantasy. It's a DFS, it's a daily fantasy app and website where you can get involved for just like 20 bucks, 25 bucks on a lot of their featured contests, and you could play for hundreds, sometimes even thousands of dollars in prizes. If you are somewhere in a state where you can't wager, like California right now or Texas, if you can't wager on sports legally, you can actually bet on props on Thrive Fantasy, and you can play prop parlays that will pay out just like your normal parlays will. If you are someone who would love the chance to get to bet a little bit more, I think you'll really enjoy Thrive Fantasy if you use the promo code GINO. If you deposit anything from 25 up to 250, they will match your deposit bonus with uh, a 50% match deposit bonus. So they will double that thing up for you. ThriveFantasy.com. And every day, Monday through Friday, we talk about how to build a Thrive Fantasy lineup on those NBA shows with myself and with Eric. Right now, let's dive into some horse racing for Wednesday. Best bets at Keeneland. racing fans many of us have been using the drf the daily racing form for years studying the races keeping up to date on news with all the articles i remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack wherever i was going now it's even easier and cheaper than ever 
to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf past performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. At Stable Duel Daily Handicapping Contest, that DFS style contest. Remember, every Friday morning we have a Stable Duel weekend preview show called This Weekend in Stable Duel. It's at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. It's with myself, Matt DeSantis, with Barry Spears, and it's called the No Chalk Zone because we don't even give out horses that are under 5 to 1 on the morning line. We get you all set up for best bets for Friday, Saturday, and we get you details on all the big Stable Duel contests for the weekend. Come hang out with us there every Friday morning. Right now, let's get you some Keeneland Wednesday best bets. I actually use the Daily Racing Forum past performances to go through this. So if you want to see these visually, you can come and follow me on Twitter. It's me, Gino B, and actually go through and show you some of the reasons why I like these horses. So if it sounds a little bit off, it's because I'm actually visually showing while recording it. But you'll still be able to get all that uh, good information from the audio. Let's see if we can make some money at Keeneland on Wednesday. Week of Keeneland Racing is upon us Wednesday, April the 19th. We have an eight race card over at Keeneland. I'm going to take a look at the daily racing form past performances. If you head to drf.com, you can purchase these. These are the formulator style 
past performances. They're my personal favorite. So I think this makes it really easy for you as a handicapper. You can access trainer statistics with just one click and you can um, set them up for whatever particular stats that you're looking for. That's why they call it the formulator. You can take one click and watch a race replay one click and you're looking at charts um, and you don't have to have all sorts of different tabs up for you. Makes it more convenient when you're handicapping drf.com. So I want to take a look at maybe four races throughout the day that I like horses that I think should be a little bit of a price for you to include in some of your exotics. Let's flip to the third race as I'm going to move to the outside with the, the number 11 in here, Gormley-esque. This is a, a maiden $20,000 claiming race. And I'm looking at the number 11, who's taken a big drop down in class. Gormley-esque has three races, all of them against maiden special weights. In fact, she debuted at Saratoga against really tough maiden special weights. If you look at the race when she made her career debut, the winner of that race is a horse named Alluring Angel, who we just saw run in a stakes race most recently uh, last weekend. Didn't really fire, but this is a horse who is actually multiple stakes placed and is a quality runner who won that debut race. Came right back to run in three consecutive stakes races and finished um, in the money in, in the two non-graded stakes. So hooked a tough group in the debut career start. Number two comes back on February the 15th. You can pull up the chart right here. There were three next out winners in that race. One of them was a horse named Sunday shoes who came right back to win a stakes race at Turfway in career start number two. So now all of a sudden you look at those first couple starts for Gormley Eskin. The company was pretty tough. And what I like in all three of her starts, she's shown legitimate sprint speed. We know where she wants to be, forwardly placed and on the front end. She's drawn outside. That will sort of force her hand a little bit. She's going to make the third start of the form cycle and the third start off the bench. I think Gormley-esque is very interesting in here. Sort of move through the rest of the field. And these are all, you know, maidens. So a lot of them aren't as established with their running styles. We could see horses show speed, maybe show more speed that, that haven't been, but I think maybe Mahomebred could be forwardly placed. We'd expect to see some speed also coming from Icy Stair, who's shown legitimate sprint speed. Maybe the rail horse Briley, but it's not as if there are a bunch of horses who have all shown a lot of speed and feel like they want to be on the front end. So I think Gormley S can be forwardly placed, can sit a nice trip from the outside. 10 to 1 on the morning line. I had the line for him about or for her about five to one or so. So if we can get like six or so, that makes her playable to me. Gormley-esque looking for around six to one or so with that outside speed on the drop in class. Let's look at race number three. Let's flip to race number four. We can go right to our next race. Race number four is a maiden special weight. It's a mild turf race for three-year-old Philly maidens. And sort of glancing through this field, I thought there would at least be a couple of, of speeds. You have Kentucky Rain, who's stretching out from sprints and has actually shown sprint speed. Right next door, the six has shown speed in each of those races. And I think, you know, towards the outside, I could absolutely see the 11 needing to be more forwardly placed from out there. I doesn't, don't think she's as quick as some of the others. And we have, you uh, know, another uh, few stretching out from some sprint races here, too. I feel like this should be a, very, a an honest pace and a fair pace. And the horse who I come to is a, a big price in here, the number three, Paint Me Perfect. So you can look at her overall career 
And her turf form is not bad. It's really probably worth a second look. Debut race, she's on the dirt, just doesn't really fire. And it's a tough race. She's behind Pretty Mischievous, who's a graded stakes winner and multiple graded stakes placed. So no shame in defeat that day. But Paint Me Perfect comes back in her second start at Keeneland, going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Doesn't run that poorly that day. Finishes fourth, is only beaten about a length and a half. The settled sixth was in between horses, was about four lengths off. Really, the the pace really slowed down to the half, as you can see. They went 49 and change. And when she tipped out four wide, she kept trying in between horses. Then she's off for a few months. Shows back up on January the 16th. And in that race, she finishes behind a horse named Girl Named Charlie. That one comes back to win their next start in a $75,000 stakes race at fairgrounds. So that race has come back live. We've already seen multiple next out winners there and paint me perfect was not far behind. Just say so in that race, paint me perfect comes back in the most recent race on February the 26th. So, I mean, we're looking at horse who has not been far behind some contenders in this race that she will be a way bigger price than. Not too far behind Voltoro. The race behind Just Say So didn't shape up quite as well for Paint Me Perfect. She kind of settled in the two paths. She was, you know, she was outside and then she kind of angled out to the four path. The winner was impressive that day. February 26th, again, not a bad effort. Finished fourth and was chasing lone speed. The winner of that race went wire to wire. So now we can find a horse who has some decent turf form. It's not as if she's been crushed or overmatched in any of the turf races that we've seen from her all three of them have had dawdling paces 49 and change and then twice 52 and change to her last three races so she hasn't had any sort of race shape at all now she puts the blinkers on which could just get her a little bit more focused she'll make the third start of her form cycle can she take a little step forward here and be really competitive with the rest of this group paint me perfect 15 to 1 on the morning line Let's move to race number six for our next play. As so we take a look at the Keeneland Wednesday card, eight races carded on Keeneland's Wednesday card. And I'm looking at the number nine in here. We flip to look at Mount Ruddle. And this one, just from a, a pace standpoint and a price standpoint, I think fits well because while he's shown speed in a couple of his starts, he's also shown the ability to come from way out of it. So when you're going long like this, you want a horse who has some options. If somebody tries to go quick, he can sit off it. If they're not going that quick, he can be forwardly placed and in, in the top flight. Um, so, you know, there will likely be some speed. You look at a horse like Evan Harlan and they're really quick. They're just going to want to go. So I don't think the nine who showed speed last time out, Mount Ruddle will be on the lead in here. I think it should work out pretty nicely for him I'd love to see him show a little more speed than he had in the three or four races in the row where he had to come from way out of it but I don't want him on the lead and he'll be making his second start back now after a break from the end of October to March so it's just his second start at four there could be a lot of improvement second start you know uh, he's been at Keeneland one other time and his start two back he was only four to one so he's making the second start over the Keeneland turf course. He got action in that race. In these races, um, first time out, good runner up behind a next out winner. So the race comes back live. All these races are pretty strong. Winner that day comes back to win their next start. 
And look, there were one, two, three, four, five next out winners in this race. Then Mount Ruddle wins career start number two and defeats a next out winner that day, winning in Churchill last year in June. Horse who was second came back to win their next start. And following that, Mount Ruddle steps up and is in back-to-back stakes races. And those were tough races. You can go through the chart in these races too. Look at the Ellis Park stakes race that he was in on August the 7th. So you have horses like Tejano Twist has been really good sprinting on the dirt recently. This is a classy horse. Turf wasn't really his thing, but it's a horse with some class. You have a horse like Kiddo Dan, who came right back to win next out in that greatest stakes race at Kentucky, the race that Mount Ruddle was also in. You have a horse like Tut's Revenge. This is like a legitimate stakes Cali- uh, caliber quality horse who's earned $500,000 in his 11-time winner. Mr. Dumas, this is a graded stakes type horse too. Commonwealth winner a couple years back and has always been like upper allowance, low gr- low level graded stakes type horse. These are strong races that Mount Ruddle exits. Grace Fable, who won that day. Another one who's just like a graded stakes type horse. Grade three winner. So Mount Ruddle following this race, which was very live, comes back and he's behind Kidadan in a grade three. She doesn't even run that poorly that day. He finishes third in a field of 12 and does make up some late ground. October the 26th, look at how slow they're going again in some of these races. They're going 50 and change to the half and there's just no passing. Running B goes wire to wire. The race has come back strong. A couple of these horses won in their next start. Aquina and Warbird. And I think this is a good spot for Mount Ruddle. This horse to me feels like a horse that should be around five or six to one. So same thing. We see eight to one on the morning line. If we can get anything five to one plus, that's where I jump in. That's where we say uh, we can find some value. Mount Ruddle. One more play today. Uh, Today is Wednesday. I'm not recording this on Wednesday, but one more play for the Wednesday card. Let's move to race number eight. We'll go a mile on the turf in here and on the, uh, on this uh, in this field, I just didn't think there was all that much early speed signed on. Take a look at you know, Stay Lost, Cali's Grit, not all that fast. Lady Dynamo is stretching out from a sprint race. Could be showing more speed in here with an aggressive rider. You have Why Waste Worlds, um, who's a first-time starter who could show a little speed. Bel Rosso, perhaps. But I think it's going to be Work of Fiction who stretches out from a sprint. You know what's great? As soon as you start recording something like this, there's always the... Uh, yeah, the con, the gardener in the background, right? The lawnmower starts. So, that, so that's great. But work of fiction feels to me like the one to catch in here. The last race was an improvement for her when she tried the dirt. And she's actually shown like sprint speed in almost all of her starts. She's been forwardly placed. Now she's going to stretch out from five furlongs to a mile. And you get aggressive rider Luis Saez aboard. I did not think that effort was all that bad last time out. It's sort of a merry-go-round race. She was in a little bit of traffic, kind of in between horses. She finished fourth, the three lengths off. The winner of that race that day was uh, a horse named Baletic, who was your heavy favorite. And again, the horses in front of her were just a little bit more forwardly placed than her in that sprint race. I don't think that will be the case in here. I hope they send hard. Work of fiction. Work of fiction. I uh, want this one. Kind of in that same range that we've been talking about. Um, work of fiction is 10 to 1 on the morning line. I had this horse pegged more like a 5 to 1 shot doing my morning line for this race. So if we can get anything in that in between, right, 5 to 1 and above, I think that's fair value. 
on the number six work of fiction. If you ever need any help with your handicapping, all you got to do is go to the handicapping store right here for all the past performances, whatever you need. They also have the Timeform US PPs. You can you can grab those, any of the products you need, uh, clocker reports, selections, betting strategy, any help you need at all, DRF. Com. Good luck on Wednesday over at Keeneland. Make sure to give us a follow on social media. It's me, Gino B. Good luck playing the races at Keeneland on Wednesday. I want to mention a couple of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. First up, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. She can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of vendors if you're looking for home improvement, like gardeners, landscapers, all sorts of folks that she's worked with and has experience working with. Maybe you just need help with the the loan process. She'll connect you with the right type of lender that'll help make that process much easier for you. That's her job. That's her goal in life, just to make things easier for you. She will take care of all of the details so you don't have to worry about all those boxes you have to check off. There's a lot that happens when you have to relocate, when you have to move. Cindy will even do a free market analysis of your home's value to let you know where you stand. She's always uh, up to date on everything going on in the market so she could keep you uh, updated with everything, how it's moving, and what the right thing to do. Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, CindyCarava.com. Don't forget about sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A, candles.com. These are all natural soy wax candles, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. So you're going to be breathing in better air than a lot of the other candles when you burn that wax. It's this soy wax that makes it healthier for you and it makes it longer burning. When you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. Sarah Candles, C-E-R-A, candles.com. Mandalorian episode six and seven just one more left this season so Tim Kelly joins us to talk about six to talk about seven and where we are leading into the season three finale of the Mandalorian we are back to talk about the Mandalorian season three and because we've had a few interruptions uh, when we've been doing our recaps this year I've sort of enjoyed it as we bring back Tim Kelly to help us out, T, because what's what's uh, what's been good about the way we've been able to get samples of either, you know, two episodes at a time, mm-hmm. we've caught some really different episodes, just yeah. like a, a contrast. The two that we're going to talk about, season three, episode six, chapter 22, Guns for Hire, and then chapter 23, The Spies. Chapter 22, uh, so episode six of this season was largely maligned like as one of the like least favorite episodes people had even though it included jack black (laughs) lizzo and christopher lloyd like one of the more star-studded cast it's ever had i think that was actually one of the reasons a lot of people didn't like it then episode seven from everything i've been reading i've been looking at Almost a flip side. Everybody was like, wow, it felt like we got back on track. This is what we've been waiting for all season. This is what we've been wanting. So we got a real roller coaster ride between about an hour and a half to two hours of, of TV episodes that we watched the last few weeks. Yeah, and it's funny how exactly on the same page we are about, about this. I mean, this is exactly what uh, – you took the words out of my mouth. Uh, uh, that last episode, episode six – was 
pretty atrocious i gotta say across the board i did like a lot of it yeah it was so inconsistent like half of it was like funny and silly yeah jack black is it's jack black singing show tune (sighs) like singing fiddler on the roof in star wars (laughs) which is like we all love jack black you know it's not it's not that but it, it felt you're watching it and you can't help but look like that's jack black like that's Lisa, you know, yeah. and and then even Christopher Lloyd, who I felt less, um, it, it stood out less because he, right. he can kind of blend in more, it. yeah, as yeah. a character actor. And but like he comes on and on my head, I'm dun 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 dun, right. dun, 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 like I just Back to the Future in and and, and, and it, even it, even he felt like a Scooby Doo villain in the way that he, the, you know, the way they like shot out. him, electrocuted him real quick, and then he's just done. And it was just like, such a silly. He like outs himself in a weird way. Like he gives them the direction yeah. to kind of go get the information to find out he's the one. And then even of course at the very end of the episode, episode six, where we have this big moment where Bo-Katan is getting the dark saber back. This is yeah. the this is the the symbol of her people of the culture. The person wielding this leads it's a huge moment you have to have won this thing in battle and i'm not necessarily saying i wanted to see her in din battle but mm-hmm. the moment when he gave and 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 i will say like from a logic standpoint yeah she it made sense she is the rightful wielder of it she did beat the 100 the creature that yeah. beat din right like so it makes sense yeah. the moment Absolutely. was just so anticlimactic that's and, the word. <laughs> yep. You know, you know what I was I was thinking, Tim, too? After watching episode seven, which which now we've had the privilege of doing, and we didn't yeah. have the pri- privilege of doing last week. So I'm pro- I'm a little bit glad because I'm sure we would have been really hard on episode six last week individually. And I bet oh, we'll yeah. be a little kinder on it this week, at least because we know what came after was better. But what yeah. what I kept thinking was there's a moment, there's a scene. In episode seven, between Bo and Din, mm-hmm. where Bo, oh, yeah. uh, where Din tells Bo, like, I didn't even know about the dark saber. All, I, all me and my people knew is what you've taught me. We, we follow based on loyalty and respect yeah. and honor, and that's why I follow you. I, I wish that could have been combined in the dark saber scene somehow. Mm, it, yeah. I just feel like it would have felt more powerful because I I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about that moment that scene between the two of them where it felt really powerful and I did not feel that at all yeah. when he handed over the dark saber to her I don't know how if they could have had a moment where he tried to sort of tell the other Mandalorians that also hey look yeah for you guys it's the dark saber but for me and my people that's not even relevant the reason why I follow her. Is because of these things that may have right. hit more, uh, you know, than what we got. Because I will say, for a moment that was big. If you're someone that's watched the Clone Wars and Rebels mm-hmm. and some of the animated stuff, like the dark saber and this moment of Bo getting it back was supposed to be huge, and it just fell so flat. Yeah, and I, I think a big reason for that is you you kind of touched on it. It th- there was no like personal character aspect of it, of, of Din's speech there. He just basically laid out the logic and the, um, you know, in a pragmatic way of like, okay, this is why she deserves it. And we, as the audience, we'd already kind of been there. Like after, 
after she saved him, those were questions we were already asking. Like, wait, isn't she now the rightful owner? How is she not like disputing this? Like four episodes ago, too. It wasn't even. Why didn't Jin just? Yeah, he should have volunteered this earlier. It it seemed anticlimactic. Like, why did they make it seem like they were building that tension, only to have it just be released? You know, on a whim. Uh, it, 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 yeah, strange, befuddling decision in the storytelling. I, yeah, just, and that's what's been, I think, the most confusing and frustrating thing about this season to me. It just, episode six that we'll get into. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go through two episodes in a row here. Season three, episode six, and then episode seven. So we can just sort of start in, in order. But we, we spend the bulk of this episode on Plazier 15, this planet sort of a paradise looking planet they said it's got like an epcot look to it and it's an independent like. planet me too oh the design every really i was into it at this point. about yeah. it was fantastic but that's what like this this episode to me felt like one of the episodes um my buddy Matt Velasco, who's helped me record, um, recap a lot of the Star Wars stuff before he recently had a new baby. And I know congratulations to you because you've got one coming on the way also. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and Matt would say that some of the, the issues that he had with the book of Boba Fett when we were talking about it was a lot of the episodes felt like they were an episode that was like designed to create a monster to sell a toy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And oh, this that's a a little bit of Star Wars all across the board, right? For, for, you know, and you get that you get that a lot of places, but we didn't get it so much with the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, and then when you started getting it with the Book of Boba Fett, you you were wondering in some of those episodes, like, was that a necessary, you know, twenty minutes or thirty minutes we spent? And a lot of this, I kept looking at, like, damn, this was incredible visually, but so much of it felt like unnecessary, just yeah. like. A, a total we needed to fill like 30 more minutes so let's have them detour yeah. to this planet when all they were going to this planet plazier 15 the entire reason why Bo, din and grogu go here is so they could find the other mandalorians Bo's old fleet they arrive mm-hmm. at the planet five minutes into the episode and they see where the fleet is but they don't get to go meet with the fleet Initially, they get sort of detoured and caught up in what would actually be like a normal episode of The Mandalorian in in prior Mm -hmm. like in prior seasons. It was kind of like a here's what you need to do this week. But it felt right. It felt like they had to do all of this just to go talk to the Mandalorian, the other Mandalorians. I don't know. To me, it just really felt convoluted like they're like you've mentioned this. It, It wasn't convenient. It was like creating something for the plot that. Just I don't know. I all of this felt mm-hmm. like a lot of nothing before Bo ultimately gets to her purpose, which wasn't even this big scene at the end. So like you're waiting for this moment, and then when they get there, it falls flat. That to me was what yeah. made it's like a probably my least favorite episode of this series overall. I'm not even joking. Like of the three seasons, yeah. this was probably my least favorite. Same. Uh, and you used the word fill. I heard people talk about this as a filler episode. Uh, and it, it was it was standalone. There's nothing wrong with it being a standalone episode. Like you mentioned, they had episodic kind of a, they had an episodic structure to the earlier episodes. And that that works. But putting it right then and there when we just had this momentum of of, you know, 
the 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 armorer kind of mandating what they were going to do and and their their new mission and their new goal and then they're just being sidetracked on the side mission that's that's completely uh silly that 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 just yes. undermines all the, the the weight and the the gravitas and the the tension that we built across the season like that it just seemed like the wrong place for it and uh i like that you touched on you know that we're watching we're in recapping two at a time here i feel like if i watched it two at a time it would have gone down a lot easier too. Having Me such too. a great episode seven. Yes. Uh, and, and I've even heard, um, you know, I was watching some of the recaps from guys like uh, Nerdist and um, New Rockstars, and I believe it was Screen Crush that uh, pointed out that this this season uh, had a, a big drop off in viewership, uh, mm-hmm. a big dip after the first couple of episodes. But a lot of those people might just be waiting to binge at the end of the season, mm-hmm. and they're probably so. going to have a better time with it. I was thinking that, Mike. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's probably true. I probably would have loved this season for all of the high points it has and been more forgiving of all the low points. And I feel like there were some, you know, low points compared to yes. previous seasons. Completely uh, but, you agree. know, it, it would have gone down uh, a lot easier. And I'm not saying from a quality standpoint or anything, it was exactly like this show. And it's definitely a different tone. Mm-hmm. But it felt it reminded me of when we watched She-Hulk. In that mm, there were week yeah. to week, mo- every week there was a funny moment, scene, or something that you kind of remember, you laugh at. But overall, yeah. there was a lot of things that felt like filler, or like week to week, you were like, man, how far did we move this week? Like, how yeah. far, like, how much farther down the line of the plot are we than we were we were last week? When you watch it all together and then you have a really good ending, like a really creative ending like that show had, you're, you kind of yeah. feel a lot better about it after. You're like, hmm. And then, you know, they brought in Daredevil. And so you kind of are interested where she shows up with him now. They kind of have a fun relation. So you, they left some good, like, some good meat on the bone for you moving forward. Um, yeah. And I think this episode, this season would have been, in, in just watching the last two, even, uh, because Stephanie hadn't watched, um, hadn't she, had, she was two behind also. And when she watched right. them sort of like this. It was a much better experience, just like you were saying. And even even little things in the episode, like maybe once or twice we hear Din and Bo point out that, hey, like we're not really here to do this. <laughs> you know, we're here to mm-hmm. like, you feel like they would right. be more adamant about and urgent that, hey, we actually have to go. We have something to do right now. This wasn't like Din's early days where he really didn't have – he was just trying to get Grogu back to where he was, but he didn't really have like a pressing matter at hand. And he, you know, even little things. Din, isn't he supposed to have warmed up a lot to, to droids? And now in right. this episode, he's back to just hating all droids, kicking them, beating the crap out of them. He's the bad he's, – he's the drunk bad cop in any buddy cop movie. That's who he is. Yeah. He's that cop that just goes too far, and the good guy cop has to pull him back. Um, I like it, that you mentioned it uh, as in that way too, because a lot of people compared, you know, episode six to like a CSI episode or like a procedural police drama, and that they definitely were doing a detective story, this good cop bad cop thing throughout the, the whole uh, the whole story. And I enjoyed some of the that dynamic there. Like I really yeah. like the part with the Ugnots. Where yes. Din and, and Bo have to go down, talk to the Ugnots, and Din's the one who knows how to interact with them because he has before. And he knows how to speak with them. He doesn't disrespect them. And after Bo, Bo's like, yeah. what, what was that? And he says, I've, I've, I've dealt with them before. You know, you just can't, 
you just can't disrespect their work. Uh, but they're trustworthy and they're good. We remember Quill, who was uh, awesome mm-hmm. and sacrificed himself, and Quill helped uh, Din and Grogu. So played by Nick Nolte, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was. It, it just felt like episode six was really flashy without a ton of substance. Yep. You know, and between the the look of the of Plazier fifteen, between the star studded cast of like Jack Black, the Captain Bombardier, he was a an ex Imperial planning officer, and he he has been part of the new, this new rehabilitation program that we've seen Officer Kane a part of. He falls in love with the Duchess of Plazier, played by Lizzo, and so the two of them get married, and they have control of this planet and they just invest all of their they give all of their money to the planet so the planet has fantastic resources art um you know all sorts of uh great um entertainment but they're not allowed to have a military because jack black captain bombardier is a former imperial officer so all they can do is hire mandalorians to protect them, but those Mandalorians must stay way outside of the city limits. So any kind of crime and stuff happening inside their city, they have to really govern themselves. And 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 this entire city, it's like a Wall-E city, TK. Mm-hmm. It's all run by droids. And the yeah. people are so dependent on the machines, they won't turn them off even when the droids are malfunctioning and like – Harming and even at times I think killing people. Yeah, I, I love when they they show the little um, recap videos of the droids doing their thing. Oh, like they were so funny! Trash cans <laughs> and just being erratic. Really- that was that was fun. Um, the whole storyline though, uh, it just for for whatever reason the idea of it didn't really compel me. They they at all. At they cooked me a little bit when they went into the bar. That part uh, but, was funny. There there were spots like yeah. this is a good like it's a good show. So they're going to have mm-hmm. bad episodes. Even in those bad episodes, there are moments yeah. that you laugh at. Hell, we open the episode with this bizarre but like pretty touching like love scene between these oh, yeah. two different species. Um there's a Corin, <laughs> this amphibious species. And Quarren share planets with the Mon Calamari, but they're basically warring species with each other. And we open up and we we see like this really cool looking amphibian and they're in a Bacta tank basically or like um, what looks like a, a submerged like uh, like in a submerged tank of water. And they get like a fish, like a tadpole martini dropped in to them. That and was really drink- cool. Like little details that are, that are really great, and then this scene is between these opposing species, and um, one of the I guess the uh, his name was Captain Shugoth. He ran away from his family to marry, basically like an enemy family. Think Romeo and Juliet type mm-hmm. thing here. Um, but the 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 captain, she is. Like also very important, and she's a big, you know, a big part of her, um, the Mon Calamari. The the woman, the female, she actually says, "Look, we can't do this. We finally have peace. I can't jeopardize peace and and you know prosperity and and all those things." 
for um I can't do every I can't destroy everything for a childish fling. And the guy says back to her, This was just a fling, and they have this moment. It's just no, that's not what I meant. And we you see them say, I love you and kiss. And then the Mandalorians just separate them. Um, we see Axe Woves, Koska Reeves. So we see right away the Mandalorians are not the the old fleet of Bo Katan. They're now just hired hitmen. They don't have feelings, emotions. They're not necessarily honorable people. Right. And I, I thought that was a good scene to just show the context of what these Mandalorians were were up to, how they were getting by, and to show that context of you know where they were morally and ethic ethically at the time. And it was uh, this unique like little one act story uh that played out um you know in the opening and it, it was just, it was really well executed and i actually be, i completely forgot it existed because yeah. of everything that came afterwards that had nothing to do with it that wasn't that great but the, they started off really well here and the it cg was, was phenomenal the details of that tank you described and the fish and really you, like, really felt cool. it Dude, these yeah, two were like separated mm-hmm. you're like oh like you it, it was like a really touching moment and then yeah. we see Bo, din and grogu go searching for her former fleet they find plazier 15 um and Bo loses control of the ship they basically get towed in and it's this futuristic looking planet <laughs> i do like the uh like the visually the looks of a lot of things they're on this like mm-hmm. monorail they kept reminding me of like yeah, what you were right Right, yeah, yeah. super yeah. monorail-looking shuttle that just takes off real quickly. They exit this shuttle, and they're in this amazing dining room, all sorts of different species sitting around and eating. They're, we, we should uh, touch on real quick the – I like the dystopian kind of uh, – the control that got uh, taken over their ship. They, they get yep. on the planet, and immediately they're, they're like, greeted by this, like, AI voice who's, like, passive-aggressively – ordering them to go but saying they're not ordering it's not an order or whatever uh, I, I forget the, the verdict, do you grant permission fun. for us to scan your <laughs> chain code and, and they're like uh well i'm afraid we have more pressing matters please do not attempt to leave the vehicle this is not a request yeah. you know yeah. and then boom they just they're off and it is um it visually just awesome yeah at this table this like royal table they're all like drinking hoses connected to this big creature <laughs> above them. And Jack Black says, I hope you like secretions. Take a little sippy sip. <laughs> Just like a total Jack Black, you know. Um for uh, me, I'm still I'm still all in. Like early on, I'm like, Jack Black is in this? Yes, let's go. And I, I gotta say, uh, throughout the episode, I wasn't really bothered too much by Jack Black. I know a lot it, of people it didn't mean either. It, you know what? Yeah, yeah. The, that didn't bother me. At, I'm not bothered by the the star cameo stuff. Like no. that bothers me less than it bothers other people because they're I know they're all actors. Like I can take myself out of it a little bit. I'm less. I'm more bothered by the plot line stuff and the convoluted sure. stuff like that. To me, the whole reasoning said- for this episode, it it just it bothered me that you didn't have more for these people to do. Like something better for them to do. Like, yeah, they had them. They had them doing pretty fluffy, silly stuff. Which you know, it's, Jack and Jack Black. It, you it, know, you want him to be funny on screen, and he was funny, and he he was himself. He was able to sell the reality of it too. I, I would say that about Christopher Lloyd too. They're both seasoned character actors, and they're both able to do this heightened theatrical kind of presentation while while 
making it feel real on some level. I can't say the same thing about Lizzo in this situation. She had some really stilted dialogue that felt like um, very presentational in the way she delivered it. And it was, I, I got to say, a, a cha- it must have been a challenge for her to, you know, try to deliver some of that dialogue. I, I It wasn't the most natural uh, written, uh, you know. No. It, you know, so, but she just couldn't make it real. And it, it, I, I feel bad for her because that was a really disappointing debut. I'm sure she wants to do more acting. I'm sure she's capable of a lot more. I think she's done one or two, like, small things, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. You could sort of just feel she, I think she didn't have, she didn't have a whole lot to work with. She was just like a very like nice, sweet, kind duchess. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was it. She wasn't, she doesn't have like a whole lot of personality. She was just kind of, she was playing with Grogu and that was it. That like, that she was, was written it. Like, like a fairy godmother. Like it was very like right. princess cliche kind she, of, she was like a, a baby face wrestler that in, mm-hmm. in this day and age, like you're so boring. You're like, you know, you can't come out like Hulk Hogan and just say, you know, say your prayers and eat your vitamins. People don't like that stuff. And they're right. like, that's kind of what she would. She just didn't have much substance. Jack Black got to have a, a lot more fun here. Yeah. And and I think what a lot of people didn't like about this episode, too, and really did appreciate about the following one is this was maybe the third episode in a row where it felt like Grogu wasn't doing much or he didn't have mm-hmm. a whole lot to do. For the entire, like almost the entirety of this episode, it's Din and Bo going around Plazier 15, and Grogu is just back with uh, with the Duchess. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then, spoiler alert, episode 7 corrects that in a lot of good ways. Oh, yeah. Majorly. So, we get some exposition. (laughs) They tell us about everything that has happened at Plazier 15, about the backstory of... uh, of Captain Bombardier and about the Duchess. But the problem that they have is that these droids are malfunctioning and they can't understand why. So Bo and Din go and find out. Uh, basically, a- again, just another small detail. Like Captain and, and the Duchess tell Bo and Din that if you help us, we'll basically like recognize Mandalore as its own nation and we'll put in a good word for you with the New Republic. I, I guess Bo and Din don't realize how backed up the New Republic is mm, because yeah. – they're they're really behind on paperwork. I don't think they would care about something like this. And no. isn't Plazier fifteen an independent planet too? So why would right. one independent planet calling up them and putting in a good word for another? Like, Wouldn't this care is much all weight. right. Yeah. It just to me, it just seemed like another thing that's like that. That meant why would they care about that? This this is important, but nonetheless, uh, didn't Bo go get briefed by? Christopher Lloyd, Hellgate, played uh, – he is the <laughs> chief of security in the really city. Really telegraphed the uh, heel turn on that one. <laughs> I know, right? Hellgate. I was going to say his name, Bad Guy. <laughs> Mr. Bad Guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, then they, that funny scene where you you, uh, you mentioned showing them the clips of the droids malfunctioning and Bo yeah. says, turn them off. And he <laughs> says, what? Why not turn them off? Who's in charge right. of that? Oh, well, I am. <laughs> There's a fail-safe <laughs> cutoff switch built into the system, but the citizens voted against any interruption. They can't live without it, um, you know, because they are no longer required to work. They spend their days recreation, arts, and participating in direct democracy. So they they get information from Hellgate, 
who says, hey, if you want to find out more about the droids in specifics, you have to ask the Ugnaughts. You'll have to go down and, and speak with them. Bo and Din get in an elevator and they go down to meet with the Ugnaughts on the low levels. We spoke about them, the same species as Quill, these excellent crafters and workers. And Bo tries to talk with them. Does not go well. They ignore her. That's when Din steps in. I am Mandalorian, Din Djarin, friend of Ugnaught Quill. You will answer our questions and help us with our task. I have spoken. <laughs> yeah, well, it was really great. You just you just have to add the I have spoken, really. Yeah. You know. You let them know that you've spoken and you just sort of tell them what they're doing. That's and... what really that's what really sold it. <laughs> yeah. You know. He's one of us. Mm-hmm. And they all sit down together. Um, but again, Bo doesn't really know how to talk with them. She in she offends them by insinuating they may have had something to do with the malfunctioning droids. Um Din sort of steps in and says, Hey, look, we don't we're not suggesting your work is to blame, but we do know that things are happening. We want to investigate. We just like you, we've been engaged with the task to perform. So they help him out. And this is when Bo and Din head off to find some of the malfunctioning droids. And um they uh they make it quickly. First, they Din starts just like beating up. Like we're talking like serious seriously yeah. treating these droids poorly here, TK. I mean, he's kicking droids who start reverting to their base function, and then one of them attacks Din. So we get a real Kind of, kind of fun chase scene through a populated area. Like the mm-hmm. the blocking of it, I don't know. Like it seemed like it was edited and cut up a little bit, but mm-hmm. again, visually, the look of it in this downtown, seedy, underbelly. Um, this sort of looked like what we saw at Coruscant at the end at the at the beginning of uh of episode seven. This was like a like yeah. a downtown sort of dark. Kind of rainy area in this nice plazier fifteen, so it was a little bit different. Yeah. It it reminded uh, me, and I think a lot of other people of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- these two episodes had some Blade Runner references, thematically uh, and visually. Uh, and uh, I, I I'm all for that. I think more more of that. Every time I got a little bit of that, it was great. But yeah, they added this you know techno noir kind of uh, vibe and aesthetic to to these scenes, and I thought that was really cool. And it was also playing out like, you know, like, again, like an episode of CSI where they go down to the docks and then they uh, they ask questions to, to the guys and um, they, they find out a little bit more about uh, about the, the mystery they're trying to unravel. Uh, and there's so uh, it gets even a little bit more heavy handed when they get behind the computer in, in, a, in a couple of scenes uh, with the CSI references. But, um, yeah, I like this a lot. There were some funny moments too, like. I thought that the droid morgue is kind of intriguing. They have a droid morgue at yeah. one point that they go into. And then right before they go into the resistor, which is the droid cantina. And yeah. all these droids are oiling up. They're like partying. They've got music on. And then the music all stops when they see Bo and Din. That great callback. Yeah. Um, so like that was fun. And Bo asked the bartender about. Um, what's recently been happening once they when they chased 
the droid uh, when they chased one of these droids they found a spark pad on the droid that led them to this bar so they're doing their detective work here like you said a mystery detective style episode good mando bad mando that we've got going yeah. here with uh with din and uh, and with Bo. and we find out that you know the droids here they're not trying to hide anything they actually want to help there's this really sad moment when the bartender droid says there are concerns among my customers that we will be replaced by humans. Most of us have been refurbished and reprogrammed. Some droids uh, date back to the separatists. The New Republic would send to then to scrap, but on here on Plazier, they're given a second chance. So it's like, oh, we we need your help. We don't want to yeah. be replaced. We still have a lot to contribute. Um, human life is so short; they don't ask that much of us. Organics created us. It's the least we can do. Uh, and. He, He's genuine, this bartender yeah. droid. Like he's not he's not lying. He actually takes them in the back and helps give them some information. He mentions Nepenthe. That's what the droids are served. It's a viscous lubricant that protects us against mechanical wear while delivering program refreshing subparticles. Oh, well, that's the key because TK, it seems that all of the malfunctioning droids have imbibed from the same batch of Nepenthe, and that's when they have their their big lead, and um, they're able to to find all all the information out that they need from that. They go to the morgue, they go to um, a lab tech, and that's when they're able to find that it was in fact Commissioner Hellgate doing this. So it like a couple fun moments here and there right kind of cute little yeah. spots but it was just like a big circle to get right back to Hellgate. you know it really was and it, how contrived was that scene I, I touched on it briefly but they're sitting in front of the 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 computer and it's like that it's like that cliche of thing like pull it up enhance and she's like squinting and 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 you know uh examining the thing and there's just like a a perfect roadmap back to Hellgate, like within the the I know. Uh, the subatomic. I don't even know what it is. There's like micro droids or something in there. It, it just seems so silly the I way know. they figured it out. They were, it was just like the writers were like, "Well, this is the scene where they have to figure out that it's Hellgate. So let's just put something on paper and we'll make the actor say it, and then the audience will believe it." Like it there's, it was just uh, I don't know what to. If Disappointing. you're just throwing, yeah. If you're throwing your brain out the window and just want want to relax and watch some silly TV for you know a half hour or so, by all means, this was a, a great episode and that that serves that purpose. But if you want to like think a little bit more or like you know have logic that holds up, uh, that holds any kind of water, um, we're we're not getting that here. <laughs> this is this is a. Like yeah. he doesn't throw them off his scent the first time at all or anything. Like he literally sends them down to the Ugnots, who could very, right. very much help him, and Good they point. do. Like it just it, like he doesn't send them somewhere where they run into some beast and then they have to beat the beast to get through like some trap that they get out of. He just sends them where they need to go. Like yeah. it, it really bothered me. And then when they get back to Hellgate, he has. This moment where he starts to go off on his big monologue and um, everyone freeze. If I trigger this failsafe, it'll convert the planet's workforce back into battle droids and unleash them upon the unsuspecting citizens. And uh, Bo tells him to give up. Give up? I never give up. 
<laughs> uh, never give up to the corrupt republic. I didn't give up to the empire, and I won't give up to you. He's a separatist. Uh, separatist yeah. is a pejorative term. I support democracy. He's a supporter of Count Dooku, who was Dooku cut Boyle. short in his prime by the Jedi Enforcer. He gets electrocuted. Bo shoots him. Was he about With, to say Anakin Skywalker? She was exactly about to say Anakin Skywalker. She cuts him off uh-huh. before the next word would have been Anakin, um, <laughs> which is cool. And I will say I did like getting to see uh, Christopher Lloyd play in the electrocution thing. I, I think on one of the yeah. uh, video recaps I was watching, they said he's done it in Back to the Future. He's done it as Uncle <laughs> Fester. He does it really well. He knows how to play uh, the electrocution part. But it just well, I didn't think about that. That's so true. Yeah, we've probably seen him be electrocuted a dozen times. <laughs> but he just, you know, it, it just gets us back to the Duchess and um and Captain Bombardier and, and Grogu. Again, a, a cool visual. They're playing this like Alice in Wonderland game of croquet with yeah. like roly poly things. <laughs> and Grogu's helping her cheat using the force. Yeah. Um so cool look, but they bring Hellgate back in, um, to face the Duchess and the, the captain, and he just says, oh, yeah, the planet is un- unrecognizable since he's been here. He sort of doesn't trust Captain Bombardier, the Jack Black character. He thinks he's not fully rehabilitated. I did I did think it was funny when Jack said – like he, you're right. He played things pretty well. Um, there were some words he would like really say funny. He even said, yeah. uh, I had a feeling you hated me. You know, just like the way he said it, he just looked so sad. I, it really did make me laugh. Um, but and then, let's just touch on that real quick. Like he just sells the emotion of it. That's all. Why it is? It's it's over the top and silly the way he does it. But he's such a good actor. You believe that he he's feels a good exactly actor. I don't think saying. people realize he like yeah. that he can do the serious stuff. And one of my favorite Jack Black performances is a, mm-hmm. a movie where he doesn't really play like Jack Black, and it's The Holiday. Um, the Holiday, he, like, yeah. He's just himself. He's just like a normal guy. He plays one of the most normal guys, but he's got a little goofiness and a little charm. But you really feel like you're sad for him because he's chasing that girl that you know is bad and that's too good for him. And then you really feel you want him and Kate Winslet to get together. It's like he makes you feel all of that, and that's Tenacious D. You know, mm-hmm. like it's – absolutely. It's, it's great. It's Nacho Libre who's also <laughs> able to do that. You know, um, yeah. I like King Kong is a good one, too, um, that he's in. I, I like that more than, than a lot of people. Yeah, did. He's, he's um, really good in that. Yeah. I, so, I, I rarely don't like Jack Black. Me he's too. in bad things, but like he's he always does a good job. He's got a theater background. Uh, I forget. He's from a very prestigious um, theater. Well trained. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I yep. know it's it, it's associated with like Tim Robbins and some other, uh, you know, stage and film actors that are, are pretty notable uh forgive me for not knowing the the name and, of it but yeah he's got a, a, a legit background and um like shallow hal is really good and it's like a, it tells a great mm-hmm. story like he's good yeah, at I it like that. he gets at the end he gets to be, like it really is i popped it on the other day it's it's good stuff so jack black here and you almost wonder with them being such big stars if we're gonna mm-hmm. see them again at some point like if it was if they're right. they'll pop back up. So who knows? But we have Grogu who's now knighted. He is a uh, he has uh, been knighted by Plazier fifteen, and she also um, the Duchess 
um, is very thankful to Bo-Katan and to Din Djarin. He get, she gives them both the highest honor, the key to Plazir. They will also always be welcomed. So they now have been granted permission to go speak with the Mandalorian fleet. So Din and Bo and Grogu head out there. And as they do, uh, they jump on that monorail again. And the female voice tells us that they're getting close. And Din, he's, Din is just so... Even this part bothered me. Like, he can do... He can give emotional, heartfelt speeches. We've heard him before. He's not, like, mm-hmm. an emotional guy all the time. He's more stoic. That's the the character mm-hmm. they've created. But in this... He's trying to pump up Bo before this big speech where she's about to go talk to her former fleet. And he says, they're Mandalorians. You're their leader. You're going to follow. They're going to follow you. And she's just like, that's it. Like, (laughs) what? And she's like, well, I'm not their leader anymore. Axe Wove is. And he he just says, then what's your play? Like, (laughs) nothing. Like, where's the inspirational pump up? Like, hey, what he tells her in the next episode. I just felt like would have. Worked timing wise better here This is why I follow you Bo-Katan let them yeah. like You know this is why I believe in you And she arrives And Bo and Din arrive And they get dirty looks from everyone But she challenges Axe Woes She says that she's re- Come to reclaim her fleet And challenges him to a fight They fight back and forth First Bo has the advantage Then Axe Uses his blaster to kind of jump at her He gains the advantage for a little bit Bo looks like she has him with a blade But he will not surrender He uses the blaster Again they're both kind of battling up in the air Bo finally gets the better of him And he yields But he tells her You'll never be the true leader of our people You won't even take the darksaber for him And Bo Tells him that enough Mandalorian blood has been spilled This is something that she is adamant about And she does seem to have one real purpose she doesn't want Mandalorians killing each other And she's continued to say We won't get beat by Opponents we get beat By each other because We're at war with each other if we were just Able to stand next to each other We would be so strong nobody Could defeat us and, and You know she talks they don't really Listen to her she does You know she vouches For Din she says that Din is as much of a Mandalorian as any of them. And that's when Din comes up and talks about how the blade was taken from him. He he offers it to her. Um, you know, she says, Din, you can't give this to me as much as it's a, a nice gesture. But he goes on. This was taken from me. Bo rescued me. She slayed my captor. She defeated the enemy that defeated me. Would this not belong to her? Would it not belong to her? And they try to like play the music like it's gonna be this moment. But, but mm-hmm. like Axel Loves and Sasha Banks, uh, Mercedes Renato, she's Cosca Reeves. The, mm-hmm. uh, those are the, the two other Mandalorians that we knew that were with Bo. They're literally just like shrugging their shoulders. They're like, <laughs> literally, like, well, yeah, yeah I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess it does. It, it does <laughs> belong to her. Yeah, okay, cool. And we as the audience kind of do the same thing at this point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're all right. like, okay, oh, I guess yeah, that's how it's supposed it, to go. Yeah, it does make sense. make sense, but that's the <laughs> that's the moment. So, yeah. uh, a bummer, honestly. Of yeah, you know, I, between the Star Wars stuff, mm-hmm. Mandalorian episodes almost have been universally. I've I've almost like universally loved, 
Andor mm-hmm. was fantastic. We're coming off yeah. of that series, which was incredible. And for some of the ups and downs, I really thought there were some cool moments in Obi-Wan like that mm-hmm. I'll and that I'll always remember and getting the chance to see like Anakin back as Vader and some of their standoff. Yeah. Like, there was really cool stuff in there, even though it might not have all been great. Right. Uh, Boba Fett was kind of weak, but this this felt like gosh, one of the most disappointed I had been in a in an episode yeah. of the Star Wars stuff for a while. But they follow it up really quickly yeah. with a great episode. Episode they seven, do. chapter twenty-three, the spies. And we should say real quick before we go, get away from please, episode six, please. I, I would be remiss to to not point out that 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 fight, that Mandalorian fight there at the end, there was some good action in that. There was. Uh, I agree. I agree. I love when they can fight with the blasters because yeah, it just adds a different dynamic to a fight that you can yeah. just lift up. And it reminded me of like some of the positives of the MCU fights. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you get like a Scarlet Witch in the air. You know, because they yeah. can fly some of them. So I agree with you. For as critical as we were about a lot of the substance of the episode, visually, it was a great episode. There's some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, so. I, I like the way they mixed it up with the the, the grapple, the jetpack, the flamethrower, the blast. Like it was like a little bit of everything. There was melee in it. There was like vibrating blades and stuff. Like the the way that they've showcased Mandalorian uh, fights has been pretty cool in both episode six and into episode seven. So episode seven at the, at the end that. is awesome too. Yeah, like yeah, at the end, <laughs> new heights. And, yeah, and shout out to our guy Paz Vizla who is going to have yeah. a good episode here. He gets the the hero <laughs> moments. At the end, though, you're still wondering, like, did you really need to stay there? But, you know, that's that's a Star Wars thing that they love to do. They love to sacrifice people sometimes when they may not have needed to be sacrificed. But, uh, you know, it's it's a good it's a good moment. And what's cool about this episode is it's called The Spies with a plural. plural. (laughs) Yeah, we only know for sure in this episode one spy. Mm-hmm. We know that the one spy is the one that we see in the opening right off the bat. We rainy, we open in Coruscant, the lower levels, and it's Officer Kane, Eliza Kane, yeah. who was part of that rehabilitation program. Remember, she set up Dr. Pershing, and mm-hmm. she is scanned by a droid, and then a hologram of Moff Gideon appears, and she's intera- she interacts with Moff Gideon, and she's an informant. She lets him know, um, Magistrate Karga. She talks to him about Navarro was mate was aided by the Mandalorians. Um, Bo-Katan Kree's led a squadron of Mandalorians alongside Din Djarin and his covert. And Moff Gideon's surprised. This can't be. These are two sworn enemy factions. And that's why Kane contacted him. Um, so we we see Gideon tell her to continue with her mission. I'll deal with the Mandalorian friends and we see him in these new quarters. It's like, it reminds me of Dr. Evil's lair. Like (laughs) it's really cool looking. Obviously it's, it's very well done, but it's sort of like got this underground vibe to it. And it is um, visually really cool. So Tim, we know that she is one spy, but Mm -hmm. in this episode, we are going to ask questions. Who are the spies? Is it yeah. Axe Woves, who conveniently has an exit in this episode before um, 
Some really bad stuff starts to happen to the Mandalorians at the end. Is it the armorer who also has a convenient exit before everybody kind of gets trapped? Is it maybe these pirate Mandalorians that we meet on Mandalore who seem like they're um, loyal to Bo-Katan, but were they part of setting up Bo and the new fleet? So that's what's really fun about this episode that's titled The Spies. We know one of them. But we don't. We keep at who is the spies? There's is there who's the other one? And we don't know. And it's a great cliffhanger to end going into the season finale because we only have one more episode of the season, like episode wow. eight yeah. next week um, is it. So that that was it was a good way to start right off the bat. We, again, we get this cool visual look of Coruscant all Blade Runner feel it's rainy it's dark we get Moff Gideon in right away we get the feel of uh oh he's walking through this dark evil place and then we go right to the the Imperial Shadow Council so this was a a rich episode I mean they throw a lot at us here yeah I was all in from the beginning you know that um the, the hologram on that uh, probe droid looked amazing and that Blade Runner alley uh, that just felt so Star Wars. It felt like the stakes were so high and seeing Moff Gideon there it had that Darth Vader presence to him, which which carried throughout the episode. And, and I really feel like they built off of the, the aesthetic of Darth Vader and, and the, the whole vibe. I, I think correct me if I'm wrong. I think I, I heard in an interview with Giancarlo Esposito when they, they were like approaching him about working in the star wars universe he said basically i want to be darth vader and i feel like they're fully realizing that uh-huh. uh, yes. with his own character obviously they're not just you know one-to-one taking all the things but they're everything that was cool about darth vader they have in moff gideon in, in some you know aspect in some way um but then that then that room that you described with all the, like the uh the laser doors however you want to call those those, sh- those red shields separating and segmenting the the hallway calling back to uh, Phantom Menace and that showdown between Darth Maul and, um, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, of course you mentioned the, the spies mystery throughout uh, the episode, which at the end of the episode, we see Moff Gideon in this helmet, which has horns very similar to the, the horns armor. that the armorer wears, mm-hmm. which also connects back to Darth Maul. So perhaps there's a, a big bad that we're not even, Aware of at this point and it some would, sort of connection to Darth Maul I will say it would make me feel A lot better About some of the things I didn't like In the season if it mm. was the Armorer it would kind of be mm. a good Twist um because yeah. we, we even said a few of the times like Gosh it didn't seem like the armorer Sort of quickly accepted Bo-Katan Right, right for these right. people that Were like warring tribes And she had badmouthed Bo-Katan To Din so often like she saw her succeed, but she very quickly accepted her. She was the one who told them all that time not to go to Mandalore mm-hmm. because they she thought it was not a place you could live on and, and you couldn't breathe in the air. Then she was the one who told them to go back to Mandalore yeah. at the right time when perhaps Moff Gideon had completed, you know, uh, some right, of the work right. he's, he's doing right now Because what Moff Gideon is doing He is trying to take the best from all Different cultures and create yeah. Like a super trooper uh, Which is funny <laughs> a super trooper But um, <laughs> like a just th- announced uh, 
the third. They're, uh-huh. they're going to make a third Super Troopers like <laughs> yesterday. They announced that. Oh, so cool. It was so cool. It was probably like subconsciously in my head because of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we're, we're introduced to a couple new people on this Imperial Shadow Council. Some of these are folks that we've seen or we know their names because of the animated the animated series. But I think this is the first time we're seeing them in live action. Um, it's Gilead Pellion, Captain Pellion. He's Grand Admiral Thrawn's protege. And Thrawn was a very intelligent tactician. We haven't seen him in live action either. We've heard him referenced by Ahsoka. And he's going to be a big part of the Ahsoka series coming up. But what's cool um, about Thrawn, which I really like... He's different than a lot of these evil empire um, officials and leaders, TK, because a lot of them, they don't respect their opponent at all. They just think they're so much bigger and better than everyone else that their opponent won't ever be able to hurt them. And that's why people hate the empire, because it's grown so big, they don't care Mm -hmm. about their people. What, um, What Thrawn does, he actually immerses himself into the culture of his opponent he finds out like their art their literature like he reads he finds out all about their people so he knows how to attack them that's a great villain like just a great villain who knows you and knows the best way to try to attack you we've also been introduced to brendel hux he is um someone who is in charge of Project Necromancer, which is a big cloning initiative, he's been yeah. one that's recruited child uh, children for stormtroopers. And these two seem like they're a little bit on opposite sides of of Moff Gideon, who, as you said, I think the character Moff Gideon and uh, John Carlo Exposito, they both seem like they want to rule, right? It's all yeah. about them. And I heard uh, some references to this scene. That people it reminded people of Breaking Bad because it was mm-hmm. he's talking he's a bad guy talking to the other bad guys but he's also lying to them because he's got his own operation going this is like when he's talking to the Salamancas yeah. about no I'm not doing anything else I'm not selling anything else behind your back or I don't have other stuff going and so we can see he's trying to set himself up to be the main um the, the main leader of the First Order that's where we're right. going. He wants to create this evil empire. It's interesting that uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn is kind of this like not present entity there. And you've also touched on, you know, Moff Gideon being this kind of independent, uh, you know, person who's trying to be the leader of the group, kind of do his own thing. Kind of. Step he doesn't like when they talk about Thrawn. He doesn't like Thrawn being mentioned. He fe- right. you, immediately he's like, well, why isn't Thrawn here? How come you keep talking about him? You know, uh, so you, you, we can sense that they're mm-hmm. they're at odds, right? He's not he's not going to play kindly with Thrawn. So Thrawn coming back will be uh, a nuisance to any plans that Moff Gideon has of ruling. Yeah, yeah. I think that they they could be, you know, the writers setting them up to kind of go head to head. These two uh, villains who will be going against each other. Maybe one of them will actually be, from our perspective, kind of the protagonist at one point. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. So Moff Gideon uh, finishes up with the uh, the council and... You know, they ask about Dr. Pershing. He obviously is lying. Uh, research is lost for now. Um, uh, Hux asks Gideon about holding 
uh, Pershing and his own experiments on Navarro. He said, oh, cloning is your obsession, not mine. I just count for what goes on in my sector. So he, he pushes it off, and he does ask for three Praetorian guards. These are those guards that we see in The Last Jedi that were guiding yeah. Snoke. And, man, these are badass fighters that have red armor. We're going to see them at the end of this episode. The name Praetorian Guards is cool. That was the the name for the guards that protected the Roman, like the Roman senators and the Roman elites way back in the day. So uh, these guards were requested. And once Moff Gideon tells the council that it looks like the Mandalorians are uniting and attempting to retake their own planet of Mandalore, that is when the entire council gets on the same page. They all agree that no matter what, no matter who is going to rule, it'll be bad for all of them with a strong Mandalore. So they give Moff Gideon any of the resources he needs. They send him help. They send him the Praetorian guards. And we actually find out pretty quickly, like we don't know this at the moment, but he's on Mandalore. Yeah. Moff Gideon. He's created... Like yeah. his whole new um, evil empire is based on Mandalore, and he is mining the best car. So now we're starting to put things together when we see that Moff Gideon was released um, and was broken out of that police shuttle, and there was best car all over. We're putting two and two together. This is a guy who wants to take yeah. the best from all cultures. He's taking that best car from the Mandalorians and um, this is like this episode just hits all the way through like it just feels like it's it doesn't stop it's so much that you almost wonder if they would have found a better way to like pace six into seven that it probably would have been better overall because this like there just is so much to dissect from this they probably could have folded a couple of the stories into each other and consolidated some Mm -hmm. of some of these episodes here um, especially with how short some of them were by comparison to some of the others. Um, yeah, I, 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 and, and, and how filler-driven some of the other episodes were. But yeah, this is really cool. I love this development here. I love that um, Moff Gideon is doing what you're describing, like trying to uh, create this amalgam, like uh, the best of all worlds uh, sort of soldier and use that to, to, to boost his power. It's directly in line with you know his history of wielding the dark saber and the history of the dark saber which is this melding of two worlds the mandalorian and, and the jedi so i think it's uh it, it's fitting that he would he would be doing that and it creates this really uh formidable uh foe and opponent for for the mandalorian to go against because now like the big thing that the mandalorians have uh you know in their benefit this this beskar armor that kind of sets them apart uh, they're not all that special anymore. We're going to see, you know, stormtroopers and, and jet troopers that kind of mirror the abilities of the Mandalorians. Uh, obviously, they're uh, still in the prototype stages and can't quite hold their own next to the the seasoned Mandalorian warriors. But still, that's going to um, close that gap a little bit. Where you know the the stormtroopers, you know, that's one thing you, uh, that's always been kind of a knock against Star Wars is they haven't felt like formidable enough in the past. Yeah, they but, are. You know, souping them up a little bit here. We're, we're seeing the Praetorian Guard. We're seeing these jet troopers. We're seeing these 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 scarier versions of stormtroopers. Uh, I think that's good for the story. So we get the chapter 23 title screen, The Mandalorian, 
And we head to Navarro. We see the people of Navarro cleaning up their planet. And a huge Imperial shuttle appears overhead. But it's a former Imperial shuttle. It's actually the Mandalorians. It's Axe Woves and the fleet that Bo is bringing back here to Navarro to meet with the other Mandalorians. I just realized the the inversion here. There's like a mirror, a rhyming that's going on uh, with that. We've got the Mandalorians in an Imperial fleet at the beginning uh, of the episode. And at the end of the episode, we've got the Imperials set up a base on Mandalore. It's this oh, complete, there we go. Like, flipping complete inverse. They're, 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 yeah, they're invading like the other's territory and using it against uh, their, their rivals. It's a really cool thing, and I just realized that now. So Bo Din arrive with Axe, with Koska, and the fleet, and now all of the remaining Mandalorians, most of them, are all together right here. And there are a few tense moments as the two sides face off. It feels like there's going to be a battle. But the armorer steps in, says, welcome, fellow Mandalorians. We invite you to camp. Let's prepare a feast for our guests. Um, So some of them remove their helmets, and the armorer is able to kind of welcome, calm the tension. Our buddy Grief Karga comes in, gives Din a, a bottle of something. He's like, hey, this is a nice bottle. It's not that big, though, so you may not want to open it with everyone around yeah. here. <laughs> All the way from Coruscant. Yeah, some expensive stuff here. But he also takes Din and Grogu to see the refurbished IG-11. Now IG-12. They've removed the memory circuit, but there's an Anzellan that's driving this thing around and controlling it. And, man, this is a big mech suit. This is just great stuff here. So the Anzellan has stripped IG down to his base motor functions, and the pilot provides cognition. So Grief basically tells Din, look, Grogu can drive this thing. We've built a little, like, a little spot for Grogu can, can sit in and drive this bot and, you know, drive this droid around. And yeah. Din is, like, the, the worried <laughs> father right away. Absolutely not. Yeah. No way. No way. He's too young to operate heavy machinery. <laughs> but Grogu jumps in, or Grogu gets in there. And it's Tim, it just reminds me so much of our kids right now. Like when they yeah. get a toy that they can play <laughs> and they press the button. And like yeah. Grogu has the controls to say yes or no. So he can just keep every time Din is no, no. And then yes, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. It actually reminded me of the scene from Family Guy when Stewie's doing the mom, mommy, mommy, yeah. mommy, mommy. Yeah. Like you just keep pressing the yes yes it was spamming it yeah (laughs) dude this was fantastic grogu gets in this thing he's bumping around the room but he just wants to show his dad look i can control it i can do it and he quickly picks it up and man this is this is great like this was so funny to me I, i love this i absolutely loved it too uh it gives grogu some more agency some more ability to do stuff on screen which we were just talking about how we didn't get enough of that in the last episode uh it opens up communication incredibly so just just allowing him to be able to say yes or no this binary kind of thing like it's like Groot. so That's much all you, you need. can get from that yeah exactly yeah it's very much like that that group thing and then you can even uh, have these great moments where you can just he's expressing joy by just saying yes and spamming yes over and over again. They're walking <laughs> down the 
down Navarro, the streets of Navarro, and he's just going, yes, yes, yes. And yes. you can see Dan and, just shaking uh-huh. his head a little bit. Like, <laughs> like, it's like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Or no, and he's in the car and like, you know, the Milo has a, like a little piano that he plays in the back. Mm. And so it's like sometimes when we're driving somewhere for just an hour and a half, he's just playing this little keyboard piano, like the, oh, whole, cool. the whole way, you know, it's just the same sort of thing. Love it. Yeah. So that, that just brought me so much joy. And, you know, I did get a whiff of like, oh, you know what? They just did this so they could sell some more toys. I didn't care, though. It was it was interesting enough that I was like, you know what? I would want that toy. I want to buy that for my son. Uh, like and that's 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 just clever enough. Uh, and they're using what's already in the world. It makes sense. It fit into the story. Well, uh, it still opens up the opportunity to bring back IG 11 at some point. They just need to get like, you know, the the other part. So this could be a yeah. temporary thing uh, that, you know, at some point, I imagine Grogu's going to be walking around like like Yoda and fully talking. Uh, so he won't need a, a mech suit always, but it's nice to have that in, during this period in the story. The Enzelin, when he hops out, he's oh, like, yeah. just trying <laughs> to crazy. avoid. He's a bad baby, no squeezy. And he's <laughs> just trying to avoid Grogu yeah. so much. And um, I love that. Brilliant. They're, they're out in the marketplace and Grogu's like just grabbing food from vendors because now yeah. he's big enough to reach and his arms can <laughs> grab things. And Din's yeah. like, no, no, you got to pay for that. And no, no. And he says, he says, this isn't working for me. He just like frustrated <laughs> and oh, it was just hilarious. So good, good laughs there as we head back to the campfire and Bo has her moment to speak. It's our time to uh, it's, it's time to retake our home world. Even though the planet is not cursed, there are still dangers. Dormant species have been awakened from the bombings. The remaining magnetic interference has made it impossible to scan the surface above the atmosphere. I'm proposing we leave Navarro. We move the fleet into orbit above Mandalore. We send down a small recon party, scout the surface, find out what remains of the Great Forge, and establish a safe perimeter. Then we bring others down. She's got a plan. She wants to go try to retake their land. She asks for volunteers for a minute. It's silent. Then, of course, Din steps up. He agrees. And then one by one, we see first it's Din. Then it's Koska Reeves. Then it's Axe. Then Paz Vizla jumps up. So now we have multiple. Everyone's Spartacus. They're all Spartacus. Everybody gets up. Everybody volunteers. (laughs) So a group is assembled. Even the armorer. Says, I will go as well. Mm -hmm. So they decide who's going to go, and they get ready, and the fleet is on their way. They head to Mandalore, led by Bo. Remember, as they fly into the atmosphere, it's very bad weather, but Mm -hmm. they all sort of – I think this was one of the first moments where you felt them come together in their sadness – seeing Mandalore when they arrived. I think it was Paz Vizla and Axe Woves who start talking about how oh, it's worse it's worse than I thought. And Axe says, yeah, I was I was here when it happened. And now they're not against each other. They're all coming home at yeah. this moment. And they're seeing their homeland just decimated. And there's there's just a common bond they have here that you can kind of yeah. feel. I think I, for- I took that a little bit differently. I wasn't sure how I felt about it because you know what? They're behind the masks. So I couldn't really yeah. tell yeah. his reaction. But uh, on second viewing, I kind of thought when he said, you know, I was here when it happened, 
there was a little bit of resentment. Like you guys weren't here. You guys you're, didn't and, see that. And shit. maybe you guys, you're right. You're right. Yeah, and that, and guess what? We experienced this and you guys were off doing your own covert shit. And that you know, could like, be a, a good little Easter egg. If mm-hmm. Max Wolves is maybe the other spy, mm, you know, someone that, that has a little extra motivation for not liking these Mandalorians and not feeling like they're true Mandalorians or they're some zealots, you know, or like you said, they weren't around here when it happened. So a group of them drops in, checks out the surroundings and they call in more of the fleet and Bo gives them direction somewhere below is our ancient capital. We'll survey the surface till we find the forge and create a safety zone. Once, uh, then we'll bring down the settlers. Let's, Start going in that direction. And Din sees something as they start to move. It looks like a huge pirate ship. And this, you know what? This like scene reminded me a little bit of um uh, of um why can't I uh of Moon Knight. Holy Grail? <laughs> I was thinking of Moon Knight when they're in uh, on the boat in Moon Knight and they're like traveling through yes, like yes. The, you know, like it, I I had some like uh some the Moon Knight flashes there. Yeah. Who um so the, there's a group of three surviving Mandalorians on what really looks like a pirate ship, and as they call out from afar, they actually recognize Bo's voice when Bo f- calls back to them. Is that the voice of Lady Bo-Katan Kreese? They fly over. We knew you would not forsake us, Lady Bo-Katan. We have failed you, but our blasters remain in your service. So they are ready to join the fleet. These three Mandalorians who have been out here on Mandalore, we think, alone. One of them is Skinny Pete yeah, from yeah. Breaking Bad. We're talking all about Breaking awesome. Bad with uh, with uh, Esposito. We got right. Skinny Pete here from Breaking Bad. Which, which is good casting, too, because they were like, all right, we need some skinny guys because uh, they've been you know, on this d- deserted planet for a while. Looking so they're obviously haggard. not eating. Yeah, yeah. So who, who had this skinny? Like he was the first guy that comes up, and there's and they're like, wait, yeah, perfect, skinny Breaking Pete. Back. Oh, I remember cool. him. <laughs> He's awesome. So, the pirates tell their tale. Now, I'm going to refer to them as pirates. What's interesting is they they don't get a name. Either either the skinny Pete character or the other character who who talks quite a bit and actually takes the lead for a little while to show them where the Great Forge is. They don't get. Any names they're not referenced by names Whatsoever so I'll just refer to them as the pirates They talk about how these Mandalorian pirates talk about how they 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 bombed every surface Twice over they punished us For not um, they punished us As a warning to the galaxy because we refused To surrender but Bo Tells everybody A really important tale that a lot Of us don't know Bo actually Did surrender to try To save her people The night of a thousand tears, when defeat was imminent, Bo met with Moff Gideon. The ISB reached out to negotiate a ceasefire, and she made a deal. She would submit to the Empire and disarm, um, and all the cities and Mandalorian lives were to be spared. And she would surrender the Darksaber, and that's what happened. And Moff Gideon betrayed her, and he did not win the Darksaber. It was given, and... He then came and destroyed Mandalore, which was against the the uh, agreement that they had made. So Bo now, to some of her people, I think comes off a little bit better 
that she wasn't defeated in battle, that she did try to help her people, and she was being selfless here. And this is actually important mm-hmm. because we're going to see another opportunity in just a few minutes when Bo has the chance to do it again to surrender, and her people tell her, no, go, take the take the Darksaber, you're the leader, we don't want you to surrender. So that moment sort of has an opportunity to to represent itself again. Um, we ask our quest, the question, TK, these pirates that sort of show up at a very convenient time, these yeah. ma- other Mandalorians, they become very important because they help lead Bo and the fleet right into the trap. They lead them right to where yeah. the Great Forge is, and that ends up being where they get trapped. Do you think these are... I, I'm curious as I, I saw this brought up on a, on a, a different place too. And I was researching this. I wonder if they would have had names if they're supposed to be more important. Like if they are the people that are going to be the ones that turn like that were mm. the spies, would they have been given names or, or are they just random? Because so I don't know. But they've done a great job of making us wonder: Is it them? Is it Axe? Is it the Armorer? It could be any of these people setting up our friends, Bo and Din. Yeah, that's a really good point. It, I, I think it makes so much logical sense that it would be them uh, that the writers probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> they want mm-hmm. they want red us herring. to be twisted a little bit. I think it's a red herring, yeah. Uh, because, yeah, it's logical that if they were on the, the planet and so was Moff Gideon and his forces, they could have uh, been bought over into Moff Gideon's side or they could have uh, been tortured and, and uh, brainwashed into switching sides. Who knows? Uh, why they would you know switch their loyalty, but there's a, many reasons why they could have. They also knew it was Bo Katan like right away, um, so they they might have that might have been part of it. Uh, although logically, I could see like you know as the leader of Mandalore, she was probably on screens and they heard her voice, you so, know, like, broad voice from just like far away was pretty convenient, yeah. right? Like it was convenient. It was a little convenient. That's you? Too convenient. Yeah, yeah. yeah but but uh, that, I think that's a great point though about like. We don't know their names. That betrayal would be important enough that you would think that we would learn their names beforehand. So who who knows? I'm leaning towards it being the armorer, but I don't know if that's just because uh, Eric from New Rockstar has gotten my ear because he was really adamant. Well, they, I mean, they like, okay, from from about this point on now, because the bow has a moment where she. You know, continues to talk about how the biggest problem for the Mandalorians are the, in their own fighting, them them fighting with themselves, and and then following this, the armorer decides that she's going to take some of these wounded people back, some of these new Mandalorians that aren't able to continue on on foot. She's going to take them back to the fleet, and and they're the new friends that they've met, these new um, local Mandalorians, they can help. Bo and Din get to the Great Forge. They know where they're going. They're going to lead them right there. Before that happens, there's this powerful scene between Bo and Din. And this was the scene I was talking about that I wished was part of the Dark Saber moment because I thought this was great. Where Din tells Bo, I, I had no idea. We were taught everyone but us had forsaken the way that you were selfish and uncaring. Now I understand. You were right. And I was selfish, um, or you—you you were right. Bo corrects him. No, I was selfish, and this is what it wrought. But Din reminds her, "This is the, our history. 
thousands of years we've been on the verge of extinction. Thousands of years we've survived. And Bo is she's reluctant. I don't know if I can keep everyone together. There's too much animosity. All I have is this blade to unify our people. Din lets her know the blade doesn't really mean anything to me or to my people, nor does station or bloodline. What means more to me is honor, loyalty, character. Those are the reasons I serve you, Lady Kreese. Your song is not yet written, and I will serve you until it is. Even just reciting it, I got kind of got a little goosebumps. It was a good yeah. it was a good moment. It was it was powerful and it was what they wanted the Darksaber moment to be. This was way bigger to me and just felt like, okay, a lot of people's um gripes with some of this season have been, has been like, what is Din Jaren's purpose and what is he doing? Well, he gave his purpose right here. This is just a, a good loyal Dude who now has found a leader to serve And now he feels like he has a purpose With his people again um, I like this a lot I thought this was a, a like a really powerful scene Yeah I liked it too And I think a lot of that was with how well it was written uh, There's some um, There's some beauty and some poetry to the dialogue here To the To the to what Din says And I agree I think it would have been nice If this had presented itself In that scene Where Din is speaking to everyone um, but I suppose they wanted to stretch out the conflict of the mm-hmm. groups coming together a little bit more. Um, and then that's an example, I guess, of of where they're taking the what they want to do with the story and they're kind of making that dictate what the characters do rather than probably what would happen uh, naturally. And I think that Din probably would have spoken a little bit more to her character in that moment. So that was something that was odd that it was left out in that last episode. But they they really do make up for it in this episode, just the existence of this scene and uh, its effectiveness um, yep. shows that, you know, they, they did something right. So the armorer takes some of the Mandalorians back to the fleet and they just they just keep checking in on her, right? They keep cutting back to her. So you're wondering, like, is something going to happen? Is she going to get shot down? But when they do, a lot of times the music is more ominous Like when they go to the, the armorer stuff. So they're really laying it on that it could be the armorer um, as, as yeah. a spy here. But on the pirate ship, as we head to try to find the, uh, the Great Forge, Paz Vizsla and Axe Loves get into a fight over this chess game, which yeah. is just hilarious to me. Like... Um, they're, they're like bitching about the rules. Only wing guard can flank jump. The enforcer moves like a wing guard when it's flanking. And then Axe is like, these primitives make up their own rules. And because of this, Paws challenges him to a fight. And Axe looks at, like, seriously? Like, really? Yeah. We're fighting over this game? And they get into a brawl over this. And it starts to escalate to where, you know, Bo and Din... Are wondering if they should step in Bo says no we can't for either side And as it gets really serious They both get blades They're really about to go at each other with the blades They're stopped <laughs> and literally Separated by IG-12 Controlled by Grogu He gets right in the yeah. middle of them No 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 <laughs> and, and it's like everybody Just sort of stops the fight stops Remember this is a powerful droid that can actually get right in the middle and separate these two. And yeah. it, it, again, it was a good, like a good scene. This is what Grogu would have done. And, and Bo smiles and 
She says to Din that you taught your apprentice well. He said, he didn't learn that from me. This must have been a, a Luke Ahsoka teaching, huh? Yeah. Some Jedi calm peace uh, lesson. Yeah. That's not that's not something you would get necessarily from a Mandalorian uh, who, who values the, the battle and the warrior aspect of things. Uh, the Jedi are much more about you know keeping that peace. So as this big ship continues on through Mandalore, something underground starts rumbling and breaking through and just destroys this ship. The Mandalorians all have to fly off. It's another huge beast. TK, yeah. we've got kaiju, some, yeah, some crazy beasts in here. Um, but they they have referenced that because of the uh, the bombing and and um, how Mandalore was destroyed. It sort of created all of this um, I don't know, something that you might think of like what nuclear what would create, you know, just um, the impact that it's had on this planet. But the Mandalorians are all able to regroup. And they can um, they're at this point in a cave where they're able to continue underground at the ruins of the city. This is what's left of the great forge. And it it does look like what we've like what you would see in in like your history books of like, you know, the fall of uh, any ancient great city. It was it was a good look to it. And the people. Are kind of coming together, sharing in some of the history of of Mandalore. But every time it feels like they're about to have this really great moment, you hear something, you see something in the in the distance. This time, it's jetpacks, and there are troopers yeah. flying right at them. These are not your normal plasticky stormtroopers that you can just push off, TK. These are <laughs> stormtroopers with Beskar that can that, with blasters that can fly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so almost Mandalorians. They thought they were Mandalorians at first, like from a distance. You think that's what it is, and then boom, jet troopers. And they they were different in their design too, I, I, probably because this is a specific Beskar armor. But they're unique to what we saw, you know, in the original trilogy, and different from what we saw in the sequel trilogy as well. It's something in between. So at this moment, as they all sort of the Mandalorians have to back up a little bit, axe says I can make a run for the fleet and get us reinforcements I can make it it's our only shot at taking the planet back so he what makes you wonder if he's the spy is that he suggests this right it wasn't like yeah. somebody else said hey axe or we need to get somebody out of here he's the one that suggests oh hey like I can get I can get out of here did he lead right. them in here no there was a way out get himself out and you know, you you yeah. you're asking these questions, but there's a lot of action that finishes up this episode in the the final scene or so, where Paz gets his massive blaster out. He provides yeah. the cover for Axe Woves to make his exit, and we get a badass battle in the caves. What I I thought was very cool, just a little um tidbit. You know, these Mandalorians, they know this armor well. They know the Beskar. Yeah. So they know where the weaknesses are in the armor. Yeah. So you see Bo and Din going for, like, the neck and the knees and, like, the the, uh, the creases in the arms where the armor is really weak. So they're able to take yeah. a lot of these troopers out quickly. Some of the less trained Mandalorians, you can see they're struggling with mm-hmm. some of the, the troopers. But I thought that was a, just a little cool tidbit that I really enjoyed. Um, we find out though, where's Admiral Akbar? Because this is a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> As 
the storm tro- uh, troopers retreat. The Mandalorians follow. It seems as if they've gained the advantage, but they have run right into Moff Gideon's new headquarters. This really well designed underground layer. Um, it, you know what? It, it's there's like a real cool, like ant, um, a Batman feel to it, like the Batman mm-hmm. caves. Like you kind of get that here, and even like a Tony Stark mm. sort of like some of his underground stuff. Um, and the walls close, the troopers close them off, and now it's been an ambush. TK, the uh, the Mandalorians are all trapped now inside, and now we can do this math in our head. They've been set up mm-hmm. and drawn in here. Yeah, and we still we don't know who it is. Like like you mentioned, it's it's the armor. Uh, it, it could it be um, Axe? Like who who is this? Who's who's the locals the, that they just met is, is recently? It the, locals, the local pirate guys. Um, we're pretty sure it's not Paz Vizsla. No, <laughs> I think, uh, that's safe no, to say. Because uh, man, you can rule this, him out. This is a great moment for Paz because yeah. Paz, uh, Moff Gideon flies down in a yeah. full armor and helmet. And just as you had referenced, like he's Darth Vader cosplay here. Yeah. You know, yeah. like he's got the dark trooper suit on and Din is down on his knees. The Mandalorians are captured and uh, Moff Gideon gives his speech. Thank you for gathering the Mandalorians into one place. You are a talented people, but your time has passed. However, you can see Mandalore will live on in me. Thanks to your planet's rich resources, I've created the next generation Dark Trooper suit forged from Beskar alloy. And the most impressive improvement is that it has me in it. He, just like every good evil villain will do, he tells us his plan. (laughs) Yeah. Right? You got to. You got to tell us your plan. You can't just kill everybody when you have them right now. You got to let us know. Um, Every society has something to offer The cloners, the Jedi, even the Mandalorians By aggregating the best of each I will create an army That will bring order to the galaxy And uh, why don't we take your fleet off the board While we still have the element of surprise Activate the interceptors and the bombers So they start to aim the weapons At the Mandalorian fleet in the sky And if you think about this Within moments, he can wipe away Basically all of the Mandalorians and that's his goal, right? That he wanted to consolidate all the Mandalorian forces in one place so he could finally be, you know, rid the universe of the Mandalorian presence. Cause th- to him, they're the most threatening um, faction that's out there. They're just such good warriors and they don't give up. They never say die. Uh, so it's like, we got to get rid of them once and for all from his perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he this we can take all of their resources as well. Yeah. You don't have to deal with them as an as an opposition, and you can take all of their incredible Beskar and yeah. use the, use the use that to create this army for yourself. Uh, so Gideon aims the weapons at the Mandalorian fleet in the sky. Bo Katan steps up and says she should have killed him when he had the chance, and they have a, a little standoff there where Gideon says. This is the part where you return the Darksaber to its rightful owner. Now surrender the Darksaber and tell these people that this planet is mine. Bo looks around. She looks to her fleet and they give her a nod. She leaves through the back. She cuts a hole and creates an exit for them. And she's able to get her people to safety one at a time while Paz freaking Vizsla 
pulls out that blaster and is just giving them cover. He's plucking off these troopers one at a time. Bo is able to get everybody out, and she tells Pots, they're they're out. They've made it out. Come on, we're not going to leave you behind. He says, no, go. There are too many. She pleads with him, but he won't go. This is the way. Man's it. (laughs) And as you were referencing, he stays there and he takes out these troopers. He is shooting his gun so fast that it melts. It is on fire, basically, and melts over. So he just like some detail too from if you play if you play the video games, Battlefront, like that's a big aspect of the gameplay, is like your gun overheating and managing that. So he just really throws it. And then starts walking yeah. at him and like pistol whipping folks and yeah. just hand to hand combat. He takes all of these troopers out, pushes the last one off this little cliff. Yeah. Looks like, oh, cool. Pause is going to make it. And then here come the Praetorian guards, those three yeah. Praetorian guards in the red suits. They arrive and pause Vizla, who's been made to be. An incredible warrior. We've seen him now in a few different battles where he has no fear. He is a badass. He's got a massive weapon. Dude, they take him out quickly. Yeah. Just quickly. And I I sort of love how that's just it. That's how it ends. Yeah. There's not another moment that gets you ready for the next episode that even uplifts you. You just end on this guy that's had this big full circle baby face turn get yeah. cut down and we don't like what who's the spy where's the armor what's going on with axe yeah. Where the like you're asking a lot of questions i was like almost sweating a little bit like this is what i was missing tk yeah from yeah. a lot of the series and i am i'm really glad like we said we talked about six and seven together because yeah. i feel so much better now than i would have a week ago yeah, so true. Uh, I was really down on the show after that episode. I, you know, I've been noticing some things trending in that direction. Obviously, we, we talked about Boba Fett and the certain aspects of the earlier episodes that we thought kind of fit that kind of just shitty kind of mold. Uh, you know, like weird uh, choices in the writing and kitty kind of stuff, silly, uh, unmotivated uh, things happening on screen. Uh, but this episode was none of that. This episode was damn near flawless, I got to say. If every episode of The Mandalorian de- delivered like this one, uh, this it would be one of the best shows of all time. And I, I truly feel that um, up until this season, and for the most part, it has delivered on that level. Uh, I so I'm glad to see it kind of returning to form uh, and being all that it can be. And that's what I really enjoy about working with you. And I try to do myself, be honest. Like we were really critical about episode six. And then we come here and talk about how this was one of like the best episodes of TV. Right. So we're going to give it to you how we really see it and how we feel it. Like we're not here selling anything. Um, We have no ties to anyone or or anything, any agenda. We'll just Mm -hmm. tell you what we like, what we think is worth watching. Some of the stuff that we thought could be done a little bit better, a little differently. That's why I really like, having conversations with you because we had, it was a perfect microcosm of like yeah. as low as you could be to as high <laughs> as you could be. Truly. And we won't sugarcoat it. We'll tell you all exactly the things that were good, that were bad, that could have been done differently, that felt like they were half-assed. And uh, 
man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to next week. We'll have a, yeah. a few days left to stew on it, and then we'll have the season finale. And it looks like this will definitely be setting up and having a lot of ties into the Ahsoka series that's coming soon. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope that the Ahsoka plot elements don't like completely hijack this season. Uh, you know, I can no, like with the Thrawn pass. possibility coming and. Yeah, you know, th- there's been a, a weird trend of throughout all these series of just like just like in Boba Fett, how there's a, some random episodes of Mandalorian. Those happen to be really good <laughs> episodes of that se- uh, season, but I don't want them to do the same thing Me either here. I want them to really continue on this story that they've built and 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 tell us what happens to Din and Grogu and Bo and uh, everything with Moff Gideon. I'm I'm wondering if Moff Gideon is going to be in the last episode. Even I, I don't know that they even need him there in that episode. It might be that we don't see him till next season uh, or some other series or the Ahsoka series. Um, I'd be interested to see Thrawn show up maybe in a post credit sequence. Next, that would be uh, that's what I want next next week. I feel like that would be maybe most appropriate. Um, but, uh, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet that we'll see him, but I, I wouldn't bet against it either. So, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where they go. TK will be here with me next week. We'll, we'll talk all about the season three finale of the Mandalorian. Din, Bo, Moff Gideon, Grogu. Will there be a mythosaur that presents itself? Mm. Who is the, uh, the spy, Axe, the armorer, these pirates, We'll talk all about it next week. We'll see where we're headed. Anything that's going on in the world of Star Wars, we're going to be talking about it right here on That's What G Said Podcast. Make sure to give Tim a follow at Tim Is Not Funny. Check him out on Twitter and on Instagram. Check out his great music project, Ice Cream Fire. NTK, I hope you and your beautiful wife have a, a good few months ahead as you are expecting another one. Hope she's uh, she's safe and comfortable and uh, and healthy. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks so much, buddy. Thanks, you too. One last prediction for next week. Please do. Jimmy Kim- Jimmy Kimmel's nephew is going to be sad. All right. Dad's dead. Dad's gone. Dad's we dead. Gotta, yeah. We got to see him. We got to see <laughs> him. So I want to see that put him from him. I want to yeah. see him all <laughs> right. sad. Jim well, Kelly will we see his face? Him. I don't know. We got it. <laughs> Who knows? Well, remember, he didn't even complete the creed. Yeah. When that- Maybe we'll get to see him cry or yeah. try to cry. I'm not sure if he has as a chops, but we'll, we'll find out next week on The Mandalorian. If he's crying, if he's laughing, we'll be talking all about it right yeah. here. <laughs> oh, that's what G said. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. We'll talk more Mando with you next week. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. A big thank you to Tim Kelly for helping us out. We're almost here to The Mandalorian Season 3 finale. Hopefully, we were able to help make you some money uh, at Keeneland on Wednesday. Some of the projects coming up that we will be uh, discussing. So we we still haven't had the chance to d- recap Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which was not very well received. But we're still going to deep dive and talk a lot about it. It'll just make it a little bit easier when it comes out in a couple of weeks on Disney+. Plus. So we'll definitely do that when once it comes out. We'll hit Guardians of the Galaxy. That's going to be released in just a few weeks. We'll, we'll probably f- do a recap or review about a week after for that one. And uh, after that, what do we have? Secret Invasion, June 21st on Disney+. Plus. Then Ahsoka on Disney+. Plus in August. Looking forward to having recaps, deep dives, 
scene-by-scene reviews for all of those movies and shows. We'll be back later on in the week with another episode of That's What G Said. We'll talk more NBA. We'll take a look into what's going on in the uh, the world of baseball, how the last few weeks have been. We'll have a lot of weekend racing, some of the big stakes races, Keeneland for this weekend, Santa Anita's back. We'll bounce all around. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here on That's What G Said.